Lord. And what David wanted to do was to make the situation right. Just like John wants to make the situation right with the speaker. What David wanted to do was to bring his people back to God. And to do this, David knew he was going to lead the nation to go after God, to pursue him. And our passage opens with David leading a massive army. And there's 30,000 blokes to retrieve a box. How many does it take, do you reckon? So he leads a massive army to retrieve the Ark of the Covenant from the house of a man named Abinadab. Now David knew that Israel was never going to, to be where they needed to be in their relationship with the Lord until the Ark had been restored as the centerpiece of the worship of the whole nation. So at this point, I think it's worthwhile um, looking a little bit of history about the Ark. I mean, what is this Ark thing? The Ark of the Covenant was built at the command of the Lord, and the, the book of Exodus tells us about that. The word Ark, it means a chest or a box. The Ark was a box of wood that made, measured about 115 centimetres long, 70 centimetres wide, 70 centimetres high, was overlaid with pure gold. It was topped by a golden grape called the Mercy Seat. On either side of the mercy seat, there were two golden cherubim, sort of an angelic kind of figures. Inside the ark was the golden pot of manna, Aaron's rod that had budded, and the two tablets of the law of Moses. And it's here, at that particular spot, at that ark, where God promised to meet with the people of Israel. It's here where the blood of the atonement was placed, on that ark, on the day of the atonement. It's here where the, the Shekinah glory of God rested as the children of Israel journeyed through the wilderness. So this ark was vital to the worship of the nation of Israel. It was symbolic of God's presence among his people. It was carried often in front, in front of the soldiers as they went into battle. It was the center of their lives, their worship, and their relationship with God. But what happened was that this ark had not been kept in the central place it, that it deserved, which meant that neither was God. God was no longer the center of the nation. You see, back in the days of Eli, some 75 years earlier, the ark had been taken captive by the Philistines. However, God punished the Philistines all the time the ark was in their possession. And once they worked out that God was punishing them because of the ark, they thought, well, let's get rid of this dropping thing. What are we going to do? Well, they got themselves a brand new cart, they got some cattle in front of the cart. They gave them a kickstart, I think. Sent it back to Israel. So after 75 years, David is about to take the nation of Israel and lead them to go back after God. Now, we don't have an ark like Israel did. But we still need the presence of God just as much as they did. We need God. We need His power. We need His manifest presence with us in our lives and in our worship. So this passage has something to say about the matter of, of, of going after God and bringing back His presence and His power into each of our lives. So I want you to look at just a few very simple insights this morning about going after God. First thing, I, The first point I want to make is the desire of David's heart. Now, when you think about David, what's the, what's the image that comes to mind, first of all? Do you remember him triumphing over that giant Goliath? Or do you remember him as the guy who committed adultery with Bathsheba? Do you remember his faults as a father? He wasn't real good at fatherhood. 
Do you remember him as the humble shepherd? Or maybe he's the one who, who sang sweet songs in Israel. Do you know how God remembers him? The, God, the answer to that is given in Acts chapter 32, verse 22. The Apostle Paul notes there, he quotes God, and he tells us that, that God looked at David as a man after God's own heart. That's how God saw him. He's a man after my heart. God remembers David as a man who cares about the things that God cares about, who loved what God loved, who hated what God hated, whose heart was beating in time with God's heart. This aspect of David's character is revealed in the desire of David's heart this morning. Because David possessed a holy desire. David's desire, it's clear and simple. He wants the ark returned to a place as the centerpiece of worship and devotion in Israel. He wants God placed back in the center of national consciousness. Could you imagine that? A nation which has God as its center. We're far away from that here in Australia, aren't we? David is seeking to, to unify a formerly divided nation with God as their true king. Even though David was to be the king of Israel, he knew that God was the, really the one who led them. And David desires God's presence, God's blessing, and God's guidance. So he has a holy desire. And he also has a very honest desire because David is, is motivated by no ulterior motives. He's not after glory. He's not after power. He simply wants to see God restored to his proper place in the nation. He strongly desires that God is going to be glorified amongst the people of Israel. So his desire is holy, it's honest, and it's also a very humble desire because David knew that, that neither he nor Israel would amount to anything without the presence of God. David knew they didn't possess the power or the ability to fend for themselves. They needed God. They needed God's presence. They needed God's power. So he set about to bring the ark back to Jerusalem to restore it to its place of, of prominence in the eyes of the whole nation. Now let me just stop there for a second. We need to apply some of this straight away. Our hearts need to be like the heart of David. We need a heart that beats for God, that beats for God's power, that beats for God's presence. We need to learn the lesson that we can do nothing without God. Jesus said it this way. He says, apart from me you can do nothing. How true that is. Apart from him, we can do nothing. The same with the nation of Israel. We need to have his presence. We need to have his power. If we're going to serve him, if we're going to worship him, if we're going to carry out his will in our lives. Like David and like Israel, it's high time that the church went after the Lord. The same way. Now we know how to do things. I know that. But we don't know enough about how to seek God's face. Of that I'm fairly sure. Second Chronicles 7.14 says this, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and forgive their sin and heal their land. What a responsibility we have for this nation, for this land in which we live, once called the great south land of the Holy Spirit. May it be so again. Because it's not that way at the moment. May God grant us hearts that are hungry for Him, that we won't be satisfied until God comes in His power and His glory and transforms us into all that we can be for Him. If there's one thing I'm, hang I'm hungry for, it's God. I love that old song from you too. Great band. 
I still haven't found what I'm looking for. That resonates with me. Yes, I have Jesus in my heart, but I want more. I want more. And I won't be satisfied until I have more. I know I might have to wait for heaven, but hey, it's worth being hungry for. So we see the desire of David's heart. But then I want to also move on to the disappointment that was in David's heart too, because he goes after the ark and he wants to bring it back. Then from verses 3 to 10, all of a sudden things seem to come unstuck. You see, David's motives for, for bringing the ark to Jerusalem were proper, but his methods were faulty. Instead of being successful, David's methods for transporting the ark result in the death of a man named Uzzah. What's his name? Uzzah? 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 Whoever. Doesn't matter. That bloke. Because Uzzah died, David got angry. And it, and it created a fear in his heart towards God. So let's take a moment to, to look at David's disappointment a little bit more closely and, and, and try and work out what caused his plan to fall apart. Verse 3. They set the ark of God on a new cart and brought it from the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill. I think part of the disappointment of David's heart was a faulty decision. Because the Bible says they set the ark of God on a new cart. David's first problem was rooted in the fact that he either forgot or ignored the commands which God had written as to how the ark was to be transported. The ark, in the Old Testament, the ark, God gave particular instructions. This is how you move the ark. The ark was to be lifted by the means of two golden staves, right? two long rods. They were passed through golden rings fashioned on the corners of the ark. That's how you're supposed to pick the thing up. But not anyone can pick it up. No, the ark was then to be lifted up and carried on the shoulders of the family of the Levites, of a particular family of the Levites, known as the Kohathites. So this particular family from this particular tribe had to pick up the ark in a particular way. So David made good plans, he made good preparations, but he neglected to do it God's way. And he paid a very high price for that decision. Another flaw that mars David's decision is the fact that he didn't seek God before he made the decision. Because up to this point, David always goes to God for his guidance and for his direction. Time and time again, David asks the Lord for his help. But here he doesn't seek the Lord. He just assumes that God's going to bless him because he's doing a good thing. How often are we like that? I'm going to do a good thing. And yet it falls in a heap. Another problem David has is that his methods were the same methods as the methods used by the world. Because when the Philistines had the ark and they wanted to return it to Israel, they placed it on a new cart. Exactly the same thing. That's what David copied their methods. He shouldn't have done that. He should have done it God's way. That was a wrong way to move the ark. The other part of the disappointment in David's heart is, is, is that it's called, it's caused, his disappointment is caused because of a, of a foolish disobedience. Because after a short distance, the oxen stumble. It shook the cart. It threatens to dump the cart, the ark, off the cart. And at this point, Uzzah reaches out with his hand in an effort to steady the cart, to steady the ark as it's on that cart. Now, that seems like a logical thing to do, doesn't it? You and I probably would have done the same thing. 
But apparently God didn't agree. Uzzah is killed on the spot. Right there, right then. You see, the ark was not only supposed to be carried only on the shoulders of the Kohathites, it was never to be touched by human hands. Never to be touched. It says so in Numbers chapter 4, verse 15. And the penalty for touching the ark was death. Uzzah and David found that out real quick. If these verses teach us anything, they teach us that God is interested in the details. I see that in this, in this passage of Scripture. We may think that God doesn't care about the little things in life, but He does. When God gives us a command, He expects us to follow that command. A heart that goes after God does what God says to do, and it stops doing the things that God says not to do. In the Bible, there are precepts and there are principles. A precept is something that is to be obeyed. There's no wiggle room. Right? When God says the speed limit 60 kilometers per hour, that's the speed limit. Not 61, not 75, not 65. It's 60. He expects absolute obedience. Now, God hasn't set the speed limits. I know that, but I'm giving you an example. Okay. Regardless of the time, regardless of the circumstances, the speed limit is 60 kilometers per hour. That is a precept. A precept is something he expects to be followed to the letter without a question. Now, if a signpost says, watch out for children, that's a principle. That's a principle. We ne it needs to be observed more closely in, in a crowded neighborhood than it would be on a, crowd, on a country road. In other words, a principle is something that we apply, is applied with wisdom. A heart that's going after God will desire to honor both God's precepts and God's principles. God is intensely interested in the little things of life, even the little things that you think don't matter at all. Now, when you read this scripture, doesn't God's reaction seem a little bit harsh to you? When I read it, I'm like, oh, poor bloke. Uzzah, he was just trying to do a good thing. But the price that was paid for disobedience and for violating the holiness of God is a very high one. God honors obedience and he will judge disobedience. So there's some other truths that we need to take note of here in the that are following. God's blessing comes only through obedience and those who defy the will of God are going to pay a terribly high price. The best thing a child of God can do is align themselves with the word of God. What does Jesus says, say? He says, if you love me, you will obey what I command. Obey his commandments. And failing to seek God's will is just as dangerous as ignoring what he's already told you to do. God's children should always pray before they make a decision. Jesus puts it this way. Seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, and then all these things will be added unto you. Yeah, so seek the kingdom, seek the righteousness. We do that through prayer, don't we? Trying to carry out God's business using the methods of the world is a recipe for disaster. We have no business trying to carry the church on the new carts of the world's wisdom. It's to be carried on the shoulders and in the hearts of the people of God. That's how the church moves forward. That's how the gospel needs to be presented to people, by the preaching of the word. Constantly. That's what I'm going to be doing this evening. Like Uzzah, we, 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 are, we are guilty of, of reaching out with our hands instead of reaching up with our hearts. We are guilty of doing spiritual work in the power of the flesh. 
We attempt to do the work of God with our hands and never really get under the burden of what needs to be done. That'll never work and God will, will not bless it. Jeremiah 29 verse 13 says, You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Like that Muslim man that we looked at before on that short video. He sought after God with all of his heart. He tried to understand and he found out who Jesus was. Well, <clears throat> David's disappointment, it finally culminates in a very fleshly display. David becomes angry. Now, possibly David's angry with God for killing Uzzah. But I reckon more likely David's probably angry with himself too. His own foolishness. But instead of repenting and doing things God's doing things God way, David chose instead to forget the whole deal. He says, ah, pff, this ark can stay over there in that bloke's place. He dismisses the people. He leaves the ark where it is. David's now no longer praising God. He's pouting instead. You ever watch your children when you get cross with them? Eh? Precisely what David did. Precisely what you probably do. Come on. So we shouldn't be surprised when God refuses to bless us when we step out of his will. When we seek to do his business in, in our way, he's not going to bless it. When we employ worldly methods in attempt to do God's work, God's not going to bless it. When we fail to seek his will, he will not bless us. When we operate in the power and the energy of the flesh, God's not going to bless us. Wasn't it called to worship? What did it say? Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. The things we do for the kingdom of God need to be done in the power of the spirit of God. Not in your own strength. Otherwise, God's going to be disappointed. We're going to be disappointed. God's going to judge us. We don't receive the blessing. We miss out. Let's move on a little bit in this scripture passage. Let's go through verses 11 to 19. Now we're going to change. The things change, right? They want to get the ark. He's getting really cross about the thing, the thing not working out. People dying. Now we're going to see the devotion of David's ark. Because David was, was first of all afraid to bring the ark up. But a man named named Obed-Edom, was glad that the ark was in his house. He knew that, that a clean heart and a pure life, had, had, he had, has nothing to fear from God. He says, the ark's there, I'm just not going to touch it. And when David closed the door to God, Obed-Edom opened his door and God blessed him as a result. And when David hears about this, he experiences a change of attitude. He's going like, oh, this guy's getting blessed, what's going on here, I'm missing out. So he returns to the house of Obed-Edom with a desire to carry out God's will, God's way. Something's happened to David's heart that made him a candidate for what God wanted him, wanted him to do for him. So let's notice David's, David's heart revealed in these verses. There's a change in David's attitude. Have a look at verses 11 to 12. The ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite, for three months, and the Lord blessed him and his entire household. Something's going on there. Something is changing there. Now, Dave, King David was told, the Lord has blessed the household of Obed-Edom and everything he has because of the ark of God. So David went down and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. So David had, had forgotten the reason that he went after the ark in the first place. He, he's reminded of, of the years of, of, of blessing 
he's reminded now, here's the story of the blessing being heaped on the house of Obed-Edom. So David goes after the ark and he brings it back home. So his attitude is now changed to the whole deal. And there's also a change in David's approach. Because apparently during the three months that have passed between the death of Uzzah and, and David's decision to go after the ark again, I think he must have been doing his homework. He was either reading the Old Testament or someone was, was told him what he should have done. He might have read the law for himself. Anyway, whatever happened, he went and he got it home, got the ark home the right way. This time there were no shortcuts, no disobedience. David was going to do it the right way. He'd do it the Lord's way. And just to be sure, the Levites, they stopped after they'd gone six steps. One, two, three, four, five, six. Stop! Let's sacrifice. Just in case. And when the Lord didn't destroy anyone, like, ah, Good, let's go back to Jerusalem. So David's approach has changed. And there was a change in David's actions too because it seems like David's given up music. Because in verse 5, what happens? Let's have a look. David and the whole house of Israel were celebrating with all their might before the Lord with songs, with harps, lyres, tambourines, sistrums, and cymbals. Then in verse 14, it looks like David's taken up dancing. David, wearing a linen ephod, danced before the Lord with all his might. So he lays aside his robes of sovereignty. Right? He's the king. You know, he should have been dressed proper like a king. Instead, he now puts on a humble ephod. An ephod is worn by a, a junior person seeking after God in the temple. So he puts on that instead. So he, he puts aside... He's pouts now, and, he, and instead he's shouting before the God, and he's dancing before God. He goes after, for, after God, and he returns with the presence and the power of God, and David's life and the nation of Israel is never going to be the same again. So what are the lessons for us here? They're simple. The believer who goes after God with, with a heart to know him and who seeks his face according to his revealed will is going to receive that which he is after. When we stop trying to get to get on, you know, stop trying to get on through fleshly means and through worldly shortcuts, and we go instead honoring the word of God, doing things the way God says, respecting his holiness, then God's going to bless us with his presence and with his power. Doing things God's way is going to put a shout in each of our hearts. Are you excited about Jesus? That's something that's worth shouting about. Yes, yes amen. Thank you. Good. Let's do some more of that. And there's going to be a song in your lips. And there's going to be glory in your heart. People are going to see it. When we line up to go after God with all of our hearts, we will be changed forever. We must learn the truth. There are no shortcuts to holiness and obedience. When you walk in obedience to the Lord and to his precepts and his principles, you'll be set free. Jesus puts it this way. You will know the truth and the truth will set you free. How true that is. Who is the truth? Jesus. He's the way, the truth, and the life, isn't he? But if we live in disobedience to God, and we work in the power of the flesh, that results in bondage. There's no joy in rejoicing in that. David went after God the wrong way. He paid a high price for his disobedience. However, when he starts going after God and doing things God's way, his whole life is revolutionized. He's after God and God's presence and God's power, and he got it all when he went God's way. 
So let me conclude. What about you? Are you seeking God and His power and His presence in your life? Are you seeking Him His way? Are you walking in obedience to His precepts and His principles, to the teaching of Jesus? It's as simple as that. Will you love one another? Yeah. Will you pray? You can do it. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, each one of us can do it. Will you be His witnesses? We are commanded to be witnesses. Share what's going on in your heart, what God's done with you. Tell people about it. Find ways, pray for ways, pray for more ways, and pray again for some more ways. Because if you've been hitting brick walls in your quest for God, let's David, David's example set you on the right path. Go after God with all that you have, but be sure you go after God His way. Then you will receive the blessing. Would you pray with me?